And now we're reading. <laughs> they read aloud from the scroll, the instruction from God, explaining and interpreting it so the people could understand what they heard. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord, your God. Don't mourn or weep. They said this because all the people wept when they heard the words of the instruction. Go, eat rich food and drink something sweet, he said to them, and send portions of this to any who have nothing ready. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't be sad because the joy from the Lord is your strength. The Levites also claimed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Don't be sad. Then all the people went to eat and to drink, to send portions and to have a great celebration because they understood what had been said to them. On the second day, the heads of the families of all the people, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered together around Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the instruction. And they found written in the instruction that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in booths during the festival of the seventh month. They also found that they should make the following proclamation and announce it throughout the towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each of the roofs of their houses of their or their courtyards, in the courtyards of God's house, in the area by the water gate, or in the area by the gate of Ephraim. The whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in them. This was something that the people of Israel hadn't done since the days of Joshua, Nun's son, and there was very great rejoicing. He read from the God's instruction scroll every day, from the first until the last day of the festival. They kept the festival for seven days and held a solemn assembly on the eighth day, just as the instruction required. Word of God. Amen. Good morning, y'all. I'm Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm one of your pastors here. And uh, I want to try something that uh, we, we did last week. Um, so we're going to do it a couple times. So if you weren't here last week, just hang tight and, and I think you'll catch on quick. All right? He is risen. He is risen. One more time. He is risen. Hallelujah. This is this little back and forth celebratory chant we do in Easter season because like Lent, the season of several weeks leading up to Easter, Easter isn't just one Sunday. It's a season. It's a season of celebration. A season of the changing of winter into spring. The season of remembering new life that is emerging from the tomb, from the ground, from our spirits. Now, it can be a really volatile season, uh, and outside it can be real gloomy and gross. But hey, at least it's warmer <laughs> and not snowing today, right? But this season, Easter season, is one of celebration, and that is why we are kicking off today our sermon series called Party People. Because after spending several weeks in the topic of sin, we could use a little bit of a party atmosphere, am I right? 
Don't get me wrong, I love that sermon series. If anybody wants uh, to check that out or missed it, it's online. It's in our pod, you can find it on Apple Podcasts as well or on our website. And we did a lot of great deep theological work. But some of that work can feel really heavy, right? We're talking about the ways that the world is, is broken, the way that we have been wounded, and how the work of healing that requires facing the pain that's around us. And so we need a shift. We need to remember that in the midst of all of this pain and hard work, we also are called by the gospel, by the God of the universe, by Jesus of Nazareth, to be party people. Now, I have a history of parties myself, and uh, those of you who are with us today are going to get a little bit of a glimpse into adolescent and and 20-something Jonah that doesn't normally get shared, so we're in for a treat. So, okay, so I am a second-generation pastor. Uh, My dad, who some of you may know, John, um, was a pastor my whole life growing up, still does uh, pastoring work in other congregations in this area. And, uh, and he and my mom were, were, he was in seminary, and so my whole family was living on a seminary campus, which is like church school, um, when I was born. And so I grew up learning of all the stories of seminary. And believe it or not, what I heard most was all about all the epic parties. Now, they, they would have screenings of, like, Monty Python and the Holy Grail and the Life of Brian and, like, other extremely irreverent uh, movies about scripture. I, I remember hearing that one really brutal Chicago winter, uh, they had a beach party indoors where they just, like, cranked up the heat because it was this crazy radiator heat that was uncontrollable, so it was super hot inside, and they filled kiddie pools full of sand and just, like, made everyone come in their swimsuits. And so uh, I, I had this idea, like, seminaries for parties. <laughs> now, I had had parties in college, but in terms of, like, theme parties, the theme was mainly drinking, um, which, you know, has its place but also has its limits. And so when, at 21 years old, I uh, went off to seminary myself and followed in their footsteps and, and ended up in Chicago at that same seminary in that same housing unit, um, I was looking forward to the party vibe. I was ready. I was so ready. But I got there with my classmates, and after like one orientation gathering, there seemed to not be a whole lot of party energy. And so I thought, being the church planter that I am, if I want a party, I'd better start it. <laughs> so I was on the lookout. I was like, we need a reason to party. And I gathered my housemates and friends I was making, and I was like, okay, we got to be on the lookout. God's going to reveal to us the cause for celebration. And so I was in um, a Hebrew Scriptures class. We were studying the Pentateuch, the, the first few books of the Bible. And we learned that um, there was... <laughs> There was a lot of effort um, a couple hundred years ago of people to determine the date of creation based on the Bible and not science. Um, and so in the 1600s, some uh, like Scottish dude determined that, that creation had been born, had been made, had been created in 4004 BC on October 23rd. And I thought, it's super convenient that God was using a Gregorian calendar 
because it's the beginning of October when I'm learning this, and this sounds like the party that we've been waiting for. <laughs> and so we threw what we called a creation party. We asked everyone to come as their favorite part of creation, which left a lot of leeway for people, and people got extremely creative. Um, my housemate, um, my roommate, she dressed in a, entirely in a green um, unitard and covered herself with purple balloons and came as a bunch of grapes. Um, I wore a bright red outfit and streaked my whole body with body paint, and I came as color. Uh, now, I'd like to share a picture of this with you, <laughs> but I want to warn you, it's weird as a trans person, like, sharing through some of your past, right? This is a time when I was closeted, when I didn't even really know um, the idea of being genderqueer. I was not at home in my own skin in a lot of ways, and I was trying to femme pretty hard to pass. But I think that you can see in this picture that some part of who I am always shown through in a party. Luciana? So there, there's me and my bunch of grapes, Megan, behind. Um, I think on the wall we had made clouds out of crepe paper and, and we had created the garden in our living room and that was our creation party. That kicked off a season of parties that year. Halloween was shortly thereafter. I think we have a picture of that as well. Oh, it's... it's totally un, uh, unseeable in this, in this space. But I was Batman, but I'm also wearing a cowboy, my friend Brian's cowboy hat and hanging off of a very elaborately dressed Patrick costumed Todd. After that, um, my friend Kirk, his birthday uh, was William Shatner themed. Kirk, you know. So you could come as any of William Shatner's famous roles we had Star Trek and cowboys and lawyers and police. It was, uh, it was an interesting mix. And then uh, my friend Albert, uh, it was his golden birthday that year. And so he had a Bond-themed party, the man with the golden birthday. I came as just a generic Russian villain. It was great. Now, the last uh, picture of my partying I'd like to show you is actually when I went off to prison that year. I had been involved in some political protest um, in the fall and gotten arrested, and those, those things get really drawn out. I ended up serving um, two months in federal prison uh, for political uh, civil disobedience. But we knew that I was going to be send it, sent off, and so um, on my last night in the community before I was sent off to prison, um, I, we had through a party where we all came dressed as our favorite lawbreakers, and I came as a police officer. <laughs> so <laughs> these are signs from the protests that I had gotten arrested at. They say worker power, spirit powder. I think you can tell that I'm dancing in all of these pictures. And so this, this was the party vibe that we created when I was studying and preparing to be, you, to be your pastor. <laughs> and you might be wondering, like, uh, did you go to party school and not seminary? Like, do we actually have a qualified pastor here? <laughs> it seems a little odd to a lot of people that a bunch of us studying the Bible and studying theology and studying the church would have this party vibe. 
We tend to think of Jesus' people as stuffy people, as church, as prim and proper, as not the place for dancing or partying. And I think that that's actually us really, really missing the boat on who the church is called to be, who Jesus is, who God is. Because I think that the Bible is full of festivals and celebrations The Jewish identity was built around these rememberings, these times of telling the stories and eating and drinking and playing music and dancing and recalling the God who is with us through it all. And Jesus was really, really good at his Jewish identity. Jesus was a great Jew, and so he didn't miss a party. And in fact, in his daily ministry and life, all those stories that we hear about Jesus talking with people and healing with people, they tend to happen in one of two places. One where he's arguing with religious authorities in a public square or at at dinner. Sometimes he's still arguing with religious authorities at dinner, but still, they're all in this party vibe, right? There's food and drink and time to be together. Now, in our text today, we're talking about a particular festival, Sukkot. And Sukkot, or the Festival of Booths, it is a a banger, y'all. Bible Odyssey, which is a great resource for learning about, uh, it's like like a Bible encyclopedia. It says, Sukkot was the festival of joy par excellence. In many circles in the biblical period, Sukkot was more important than the preceding Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. It was so significant that it was just called the festival. So it was this big, big party. And, and I think it's easy when we're reading scripture to kind of like glaze over these descriptions to be like, okay, so they read the scriptures and they, when they had booths or something and they did that for some days and like, when do we get to the... When do we get to the good stuff? But in fact, this is actually a description of like a really exciting moment. And, you know, for me, in, in reading scripture, like it can be hard, like it's hard to capture a party environment. Um, it's hard without like images or music or sound because what we're trying to capture is connection. It's people, it's moments of joy. And so to describe it in these technical ways, I feel like, you know, like I'm reading Lord of the Rings again. I'm like, why is this dinner party going on for 50 pages? <laughs> I was not, I, I have my limits with Tolkien, but blessings to all of you who really get into, get into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, it's, hard to put, it's hard to put a party on paper. It really is. And so what we end up with is instructions. Instructions for partying. It's like, hey, go get this stuff, eat this food, prepare this lamb, um, you know, make these decorations, and that's what all of that is. The Festival of Booths was a time where everybody would, like, build these, like, forts. It was like a fort party. It was these temporary shelters. They'd make them and, and take greenery, like, that's what they're talking about, the olive branches and the palm and myrtle, and they would drape these little um, kind of temporary housing structures with these leaves so that you could still see the stars at night through the top. And, and you could feel the sun beat through them during the day. And you were out in the world together in these temporary dwellings. And because it was a harvest festival, you were supposed to decorate it with the harvest. So 
you know, olives and pumpkins and anything that, that you can imagine has been used in this festival as it has been celebrated all over the world throughout many centuries and millennia. But people fill, fill their temporary dwellings with the richness of food. And then they dwell together. This is a week-long party, y'all. They just, they're like, hey, we're, we're just burning man week. We're just all, all getting our, our little temporary shelters. We're camping out together. And so it's hard to get that vibe, right, from a, from a description. But these are the instructions. You have, you have to party. You have to throw this party, and here's who you invite and how you prepare and what to eat and bring. Now, you might be wondering, like, what's the purpose of this party? They, too, were looking for meanings to party. Sukkot actually has multiple meanings. And the first, the kind of most original, was the harvest itself. This was the end of harvest season. And there was so much richness after all of the labor, all of the labor of the, of the growing season. They were coming to the harvest to gather everything that had grown, and then preparing for a rainy season. And so these temporary structures are actually modeled off of the structures that harvesters would have in the field, because basically they were like, we want to be gathering in all the richness, all the crops, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, and we don't want to waste any time in transit, so we're not even going home. We're just, we're just going to make a little house right here in the field to be close to this richness. Now, it sounds like grueling work, but it became a celebration, and a celebration of the fruits of that labor. So they would maximize time in the field. Now we're maximizing time in the festival and the party. We don't even go home. This is like an out-of-town wedding where everyone's in the same hotel. Like, we're all just in it together for a week. There was a water ceremony during that time, praying to God for a good rainy season so that they would be blessed with crops in the coming year. But over time, meaning evolved and meaning changed. There was, in kind of a later period, folks saying, like, hey, actually this reminds us of the time that we were in the wilderness. The 40 years we wandered in the wilderness and we had temporary dwellings. So let us make these temporary dwellings and dwell among them and remember that when we felt like we didn't have a home, we were on our way to here and God was with us. That water ceremony that had been about praying for rain, it became remembering the water that God had provided in the desert. Either way, whether it was a harvest festival purely or remembering of God's liberation from the wandering in the desert, it was a huge celebration. And this is one of the indications to me that the party actually is more fundamental than the meaning of the party. That we are called to create stories, to remember, but that there's no one set meaning and that the celebration itself has value. So whether we are saying, look at our bounty or remember a time when we didn't have much, the celebration is a drawing together of human beings with God and with the earth to say, let's be under the stars. Let's shine in the sun. Let's camp out together and be with one another. So you might be wondering why they needed such a banger at this time of year. I think for us, a lot of us um, kind of need that energy in the winter, 
uh, because, you know, it's, it's dark and we've, we've put a lot of like bright light energy into Christmas because the winter and the dark is really hard for us in this time of, of year. Um, this was a fall festival, right, with the harvest. And so in this case, I think it's important for us to go back to the text. So what we read today, did anybody catch that they were partying, but they were also being told to be quiet because they were crying too loudly? Anybody else be like, well, that's weird. So that actually is, is really important. They, the context of the book of Nehemiah is that they're rebuilding Jerusalem. So they've been exiled. There's, there's been a spreading out. The, it's called the diaspora, right? People um, kind of cast out from their homeland as refugees elsewhere. And Nehemiah and some other leaders have really pushed to get back into Jerusalem and to rebuild it, to fortify the city. And all of that has happened. They've put in all of this labor. And so they get together and they're like, what do we do now? And they're like, let's read the scriptures. Let's remember the God who brought us here. And so they read the scriptures together. They read the instructions and the law. They turn to face the truth of their situation. They do the thing that we've been doing for several weeks. They're looking at the torn parts of the universe and the instructions for fixing it. And they go, oh man, this feels really hard. They start to weep after reading it because it is so overwhelming to think of the work involved. They have just rebuilt their city. They've just reclaimed this. They are probably exhausted they're hopefully finally feeling safe, but they've been persecuted. And then they have to remember all of the many ways they've been persecuted. All of the many broken points in the world. All of the threats of violence. And all of the instructions for setting it right. The ways that we are called to be people of redemption. The ways that we are called to bring God's healing and goodness into the world. And instead of being energized by that, they're like, are you kidding me? I cannot, I cannot. It's too hard, I'm too wounded, it's too painful. I just got home. Can I just rest? Can I just live? And so there is this feeling of despair that there's too much brokenness in the world and fixing it is too hard. Anybody out here ever felt that way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It can be really, really overwhelming. And so what then do the leaders and the priests tell them to do? They say, hey, we're going to throw a party. We're going to throw a huge party. Get some good food. Get something sweet to drink. Anybody who has good stuff, bring it out for anybody who won't have anything. We're going to all throw in together, and we're going to have a party. This day is holy. This future is holy. This dream we have is divine, and we are not going to let it go. And so they brought everyone together. They said, we're going to have a great celebration. And then there were all these instructions, right? I know that you just built a wall to fortify your city. We're going to build a tent city right here, right now, to have a party in it. We are going to draw together. We are going to eat the best stuff that we have. We're going to share everything with one another out of abundance. We are going to laugh and sing and dance. And we are going to do that for a week before we even come back to any of this stuff. We're going to be together. 
And that is going to give us strength and hope. They partied because they were bummed. They partied because they were sad. They partied because grief can feel too much. It's not enough to wait until we've won to have a celebration. It's not enough to wait until things are okay to celebrate. We have to party when we hope to win. We have to party when we're overwhelmed and sad so that we can remember what is possible. It doesn't have to be okay. We don't have to be okay to throw a party. We throw the party because we're not okay and we need to remember that we are not alone and that there are present things and things to come that are worth celebrating. Now those signs that I showed you from the protest where I got arrested, those that said worker power and spirit power, the protest that I had been at and I got arrested at was filled with those things and with so much art it was a really complicated event. We were protesting a military training institute in Georgia. And it was a US-run military operation that had impacted so many countries throughout the world and had resulted in the deaths of millions. And so we were going there to protest and to say, this is a destructive mechanism of death that needs to end. And actually, I have, I have some pictures from that as well. Do you see all of those crosses? We were there. There were about 20,000 of us there that year, and we each had a cross. And each of those crosses, can we go to the next one? Each of those crosses had a name of a person who had died due to the violence perpetrated by this military apparatus and we filled fences, and we sang, and we sang out their names. And so the beginning of the protest was this procession and a die-in. There were people who would march through, who would call out, there was someone calling out all the names, and we would raise the cross or a fist and, and honor them, every name. And this went on for hours. Meanwhile, there were people in the streets kind of lining that procession, who were um, representing the dead, laying on the ground. And there, it was a funeral procession. But over the course of that protest, when we got through that, that list of names, when we mourned and grieved, when we talked about what we had lost, we started to talk about what we could hope for. The future that we thought was possible the different ways that we could be in the world. And slowly and then suddenly, the vibe gave way to partying. One of my favorite parts of the protest were the puppetistas. So they had these massive puppets that uh, in some ways, some of they were puppets that represented um, evil and destruction, and they were part of the funeral procession. But at some point, these other more life-giving puppets came out, the sun and the moon and the eagle, and along with this, signs that say resist and spirit power and worker power, and that's when all of those hopeful signs started flooding in. The crosses had been laid down, and all of these signs of the hope of our future came flooding in and were passed around. The drummers started, the music started, the dancing started. 
Some of you know that my favorite street chant is, we believe that we will win. And the reason is because when I was 21 years old, right before I got arrested and went to prison, I was jumping up and down with 20,000 other people shouting that into, into being, into existence. We believe that we will win. The party, the celebration, it gives us strength for the fight. It gives us hope to go on. Hope that we can win liberation. Hope that we will be made whole and that actually we have a part in making that happen and our joy is fundamental to that future of liberation and love and kingdom. And also, we party because we want to be alive. We party because life is worth living and it helps to be reminded of that by being surrounded by food and friends and music and connection. The life of faith involves partying and celebration. Celebration is a reason unto itself. The gospel calls us to be party people. And so, whether you are feeling that party energy right now, or you feel like you might still be in that funeral procession, I urge you to consider this season the ways that you can look for celebration, the ways that we as a church can create celebration out of ordinary everyday life, how we can build up even temporary structures together to say, hey, let's camp out together. Let's watch movies on the lawn together. Let's eat brunch together today. Let's, let's celebrate um, our, our queerness and pride in, a, in an interfaith community on the lawn on Tuesday. You know, let, let's look for reasons. Let's look for a reason. Let's find our, our creation party. Let's find our silly themed birthday parties. Let's be the people of Easter, people of resurrection, party people. Will you pray with me? God, you are the God of life. We pray that we would find life with and for and through one another, that in the connection of celebration, we could be made more whole. We could be given hope for the future, and the hope we have for the future could turn into song and dance and food and life. God, you have commanded us to party. May we do so with joy. May we do so with hope, and may we receive more joy and hope as we do. Amen.